This podcast is sponsored by Inside Out Group, the specialists in high-risk and challenging filming and time-lapse, covering health and safety videos for rail, construction, and infrastructure projects nationwide. And we're live. Welcome to this week's Safer Than Your Average. On the show this week, we've got Andy. Andy, if you just want to come in and introduce yourself. Yeah, thanks, Blair. Um, so my name is Andy Lewis. Um, born in sunny Middlesbrough, um, in the grim northeast. Uh, and I've been working in health and safety and risk management since about 2002. Um, yeah, just a, a pretty normal average person that saw some interesting stuff, I suppose. <laughs> so can we go back to the start, Andy, if you tell us a bit about your background? Yeah, um, so like I said, I was um, born in Middlesbrough. Um, my old man used to work for British Steel. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he worked there all his career. So he started off in the post room and then progressed through, retired when he was 60, so he took early retirement. Mm-hmm. My granddad was, uh, on my mum's side, my granddad was a brickie and ended up with industrial dermatitis, mm-hmm. so he took early retirement. And on my dad's side, my me, me granddad um, served in the army mm-hmm. at the end of the Second World War, sort of like his national service, and, and ended up just working... Um, sort of like manual labour jobs and things like that. I, like I said, I wasn't, I went to school in, in Eston, um, which is just outside Middlesbrough. Wasn't particularly interested in school, to be honest. I think I, I found it boring. Um, yeah, and then just sort of, I think I decided at about the age of about nine or 10 that I didn't want to go into further education, let alone secondary school. Um, so, yeah, focused on the normal stuff, you know, sport and golf, football, cricket. Was absolutely useless at all of them, but loved playing them. Um, yeah, so it was, I mean, just the normal, you know, mum and dad, you know, they got divorced when I was 15, 16. But, you know, that couldn't care less, you know, I, I had my mum and dad. Um, so, yeah, pretty lucky, like. Didn't didn't have a bad childhood, you know. Mm-hmm. It was just the normal run of the mill stuff, just just normal fun. And I think um, something that you know, I think my mum and dad had always instilled in me is that sort of level of curiosity and a little bit of cheekiness, so mm-hmm. like just a challenge. So obviously now that I work in health and safety and risk management, it's uh, can be a little bit detrimental sometimes, but. You know, you've still got to have your sense of humour, as you well know. Definitely, and that's one of the reasons I asked you to come on the show. I've seen some of your LinkedIn posts. They're absolutely <laughs> brilliant. I was sitting in stitches having a laugh at a couple of them a few weeks ago, and it uh, brightened up quite a, quite a dull day. So if we just move on a little bit then, Andy, tell us a bit about your first job. So um, I left school when I was 16. Mm-hmm. And I left with one GCSE uh, dual award in science, which was a grade C. And I don't believe I actually turned up for any of my other exams. Uh, I just, like I said, I just 
I had this, uh, the idea of, I was going to go and do an apprenticeship mm-hmm. or, you know, do something. Um, so I started uh, working as an apprentice on, I think it was about 50, 50 quid a week um, back in 1996. Mm-hmm. I mean, engineering and metal fabrication and mm-hmm. construction and i've done that with uh, a company called nita training mm-hmm. and that would they were based in sort of stock and so it was an hour on the bus um and yeah and I, and I was there probably about six or seven months um and i and you know that's where i, I, I discovered these things called nvqs and and this idea of, you know, you learn on the job, you're getting involved that way. And, and I can still remember there was a, there was a guy called Paul Latham and he was one of the instructors. Mm-hmm. And it's something that stuck with me all my life because he said, the first week's going to be boring as hell. This is all health and safety. And he was a, he was a fantastic instructor. Mm-hmm. He, I, he came from ICI or somewhere like that. And he was, he just, just made learning fun and um, and again you know when I've when I've started getting involved in, in training and assessing and 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 doing that type of stuff that's that's always something that I've tried to bring to the table is that element of fun because for me if it's not fun you're not going to learn properly yeah yeah definitely so tell us a little bit more about that then was it boring the sale the first week or was it was it good did they jazz it up a bit for you I, it was it was interesting because they started talking about all these big metal presses and drills and grinders and and as as a sixteen year old kid you're just like oh you know my dad won't let me in the garage and play with spanners or, or a handheld drill you guys are going to let me do this um, and it was it was really interesting because I remember them bringing in these really graphic photos of. of um, you know, the apprentices that go bad sort of thing and mm-hmm. saying, if, if you don't pay attention, this is what was going to happen. And, 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 and that wasn't that, that, that guy, Paul, Paul, that was an older guy who he worked in the stores mm-hmm. and he was the first aider on site as well. So he, he was, um, he was a real character. Mm-hmm. I think, um, I don't think it was particularly boring. I just found it quite interesting that, you know, Someone who, you know, you can blatantly see that this thing's revolving at X amount of thousand revs per minute and someone's decided to touch it. Um, and that was, that was interesting. Um, but yeah, look, I don't think it was particularly boring. I don't, at that time, it was just something that I had to do to start learning and to start trying to work towards a trade. Mm-hmm. And did you have any inclination at that point that that's what you would do later on for a career? No. No, I mean, at, at the age of 16, I was learning. I was, so basically all my, I worked um, a couple of different jobs um, out of, after the apprenticeship bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I was trying to get my, my private pilot's license. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I, and I had a sort of, an idea that, you know, doing the, after, after a pretty short period of time, the, the idea of doing MVQs was, was for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really enjoyed it. But like I said, my, at that point in time, leading up to sort of like Christmas of 90, 96, it was all about trying to get my pilot's license and, and trying to escape Middlesbrough, to be honest. 
Mm-hmm. If you've ever been to Middlesbrough, you'll understand why. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. I get it. <coughs> that old joke, isn't it? How do you upset someone from Middlesbrough? Ask them the difference between Stockton and Middlesbrough. There's no difference. They're all jobbies. I mean, the most offensive thing you can ever do for, for someone who's actually left Middlesbrough or Tayside is, is trying to get them to come back. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, and, and I do. I, I love the borough. I'll, you know, Middlesbrough will be, you know, I'll always be that, you know, slightly annoying teenage brat that everyone <laughs> sort of has inside them, and it, it, and it comes out every now and again. You know, I mean, I do feel sorry for my mates who live back in Teesside because, you know, they're they're still subjected to practical jokes to this day, um, <laughs> which. Probably isn't in line with being a safety and risk professional, but again, you know, it's calculated. <laughs> so, did you get your private pilot's license then, or how did that pan out for you? Yes, yeah, so um, I got my private pilot's license, um, and it was just going down to Teesside Airport. So it was doing that on a on a regular basis, and, and I didn't really tell anyone that was that was doing anything about mm. it. It was just something that I thought. You know, maybe maybe one day there's an opportunity. Um, like I said, as, as someone who isn't an academic, um, you know, I, I, I've always struggled with that idea of just an exam for the sake of it, um, especially if it wasn't interested. But sitting, sitting the basic aeronautical exams and, and things like that, and, you know, but I think doing the NVQs and going through that process, it, um, it set me up for success in a lot of ways. I really enjoyed... You know, and, and someone, I was talking to someone a couple of years ago and they were saying that the best thing you can ever do is that first solo flight. Mm-hmm. And, and I sort of looked at him and thought, that was the, one of the most scariest experiences that I've personally ever done. Like, but I, I sort of understand like that. It's that I've done this. So yeah. I've, I've achieved something. Um, and then it's... It's really interesting, like because you know you you're up there and all of a sudden it's just you know it's just you and this you know thousand kilogram little Cessna thing with flappy wings and you just think mm. but yeah it's it's an interesting one and obviously like looking at flying and, and things like that um, it's all about safety mm-hmm. and this probably sort of started. Pulling everything together um, at a really early age for shaping a bit of a career and, and, and my future. Yeah, yeah. So where did you go after that? Then you got your private pilot's license. Were you working in metal fabrication at that time, or had you? No, moved? I um, I decided uh, so I uh, I joined the RAF at seventeen, um, mm-hmm. and done just over five years in the Royal Air Force. Um, mm-hmm. You know, um, loved it. Loved my time there. It wasn't in a in an aviation capacity, but kept on flying, building the hours up, things like that. And then in 2002, I found out I was type one diabetic, mm-hmm. and that just was possibly the worst thing ever to happen to me. You know, um, mm. I really struggled with having to stop flying, stop, you know, trying to build a career in the Air Force. And 
and left and started scratching my head wondering what now what's next yeah yeah um, really tough one um coming out of the back of that and having to lose something that you, you love doing as well as losing your occupation that you need to go and work out what you're going to do from there as well that, that must have been pretty pretty tough yeah i mean i suppose looking back um i could have went one or two ways i could have went on a really big downward spiral and and suffered with a lot of depression or anxiety and, and things like that i think part of that is you know it's again it's it's why i've been focused on on safety and, and risk management is because that that mental health side doesn't really get talked about yeah um for me it was i was really lucky because i didn't have a, a massive support network of friends uh kept myself you know quite insular and but I, the, the friends that I kept and my friends from back at home the, the people I'm still in touch with now mm-hmm. you know they, they they were good you know the, the the idea of yeah well could be worse sort of thing you could be a Geordie um, and that was the that was the running joke and, I, and the reason I swear that is because <laughs> one of my mates is a Geordie um, <laughs> Brilliant, brilliant. I knew that was going to come in somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're laughing at the moment. I'm there in the Premier League, and I think we got beat by Watford today. So. Yeah, yeah. Happy days. <laughs> so, when you left the Air Force, then transitioning back into civilian life after five years, what did you move on to do? Did you move straight into safety from there, or? So it was, it was, it was really lucky. I was doing like again, just sort of working. I was working anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and someone said, oh, you know, have you thought about risk management? And mm-hmm. I was just like, eh? nah. They said, um, one of the local councils is, is looking for someone to go around and do risk assessments. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you want to do it? And I was like, yeah, give it a go. What's the worst that can happen? Um, and being, you know, and, and, and still being relatively fit and, and, not the the 16 stone that I am now. Um, I was still playing sport, so it was great. It was an excuse to go to watch sort of like high level cr- club cricket or go and see some non league football and you know go and do the risk assessments on the grounds and things like that. And and before you knew it, I was sort of just working for the council, doing that. Um, and it was really interesting as well because. On the back of that, um, you know, I, I met people and, and I got my, my football coach's qualification. So I was doing a little bit of that at the same time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think there was that the dark side in me sort of enjoyed doing that risk assessment stuff and, mm-hmm. and being involved and, you know, thinking, oh, well, if an ambulance needs to get in here, how? So, you know, you just draw your little mud map on, on your risk assessment and, and it, and to start off with, it was it was quite funny because I went back and I sort of looked at what had been done the previous year by the person, and and it was it was exactly the same. It was just like someone had picked up a piece of paper, and so I think I might have had a little bit of like say that that bent that sort of curiosity uh, to think what if, um, mm-hmm. and obviously that's been shaped by you know the fact that you know I've been in the armed forces, I learned to fly. Mm-hmm. That you, you always sort of think, what's next? 
Um, and then from there, uh, I have uh, I had a friend who was um, he was working up at Edinburgh Airport um, okay. with a, a transport and facilities and you know the like a a service provider and okay. he said oh we need someone to come and do night work and you know be involved in in safety and stuff like that do you want to come and have a chat and I thought well you know it's it's not the Bahamas but it's Edinburgh you know <laughs> it's um. And I, I, you know, I've been up to Edinburgh and yeah, um, beautiful city. Um, and I thought, you know, what what what, what could possibly go wrong? Mm-hmm. I'll do this. Um, so and and that was around the time that you know I just met me met my wife Karen who, um, so you know I was doing four days on four days off, driving up to Edinburgh, going back down, working nights. This idea of fatigue came into mind and. It was just like you'd sort of get up at normal time on a Monday morning and drive up and get into the hotel and then work your night shift and then keep on going. And then before you knew it, you'd done your four days and it was seven o'clock on a Friday morning and you were driving back down thinking, oh, I'm a bit tired. Um, so yeah, and you know, I've done that for maybe three, three and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, really good, enjoyed it. Learned loads, mm-hmm. and, and it was it got me involved not only in the safety stuff, um, but you know the the operations side of it, the budgeting, the mm-hmm. that that's stood me in good stead as as we've gone through the process and and as I've grown sort of professionally through my career. Mm-hmm. So but yeah, um, got married in two thousand and nine, and um, decided that you know I probably should look for another job back in the grim north so my father-in-law had a, an electrical construction and contractors business mm-hmm. and we we're just having a chat one day and he was saying oh you know this this iso 9001 stuff yeah and i was like it's just a quality management system he said oh yeah but you know this so i said oh I'll come and have a look and there's this thing called 18,001 and we'll, we'll bundle it all together and so I went and joined him in you know 2010 and yeah started working on certification and and going through that process and uh, just I mean working with Sparkies is a different kettle of fish altogether. Oh yes. Um, you know, and the, there's there's always the one there's always the one electrician that sort of he's given it this. He's like, oh, I've only been electrocuted six times, and you just think, and don't tell me that. <laughs> I don't want to know this. Um, but yeah, look, I mean, it was really interesting. Again, um, so I'd, I'd basically gone from sport to transport, and sort of like being on the fringes of aviation, dealing with a lot of service providers to construction. Mm-hmm dealing with sparkies and mm-hmm. it was just like this this wasn't the career that i'd envisaged you know, mm-hmm. I, I honestly thought by the time i was i was 40 i'd be you know working for some swanky airline flying all over the place doing all the cool stuff and yeah i was approaching 30 and still in middlesbrough and i was just like yeah this this is exactly how i envisioned envisaged my life sort of thing <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. <coughs> what happened from there then? 
So the 17th of um, December mm -hmm. 2010, uh, sorry, 17th of November 2010, mm -hmm. my wife got a phone call mm -hmm. and it was, there's a job in Australia, would you, uh, would you fancy an interview? Mm -hmm. And this is at 11 o'clock at night and, and, and Karen's looking at me and she's on the phone going, this is a wind up. You're behind this. And I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have the brains to think that big. And she was like, okay, yeah. So, you know, over the next couple of weeks, interviews, Skype, sort of um, calls, that type of stuff. And then on the, the start of December, mm -hmm. um, go up and said, can you start in, can you start in, um, on the 20th of March, I think it was, or the, some of the date, um, um, sorry, uh, 20th of January. Then she said, yeah, no problem. So, it was a case of right. So we we had a house. It was what do we do? So we've literally got four and a half weeks to <laughs> but, get everything out of the house, do every car boot sale in the world, get rid of all the rubbish, decorate the house, find a tenant, move in with the father-in-law for a couple of weeks, see everyone that we really wanted to see and avoid everyone that we wanted to avoid before booking flights, getting on the plane and traveling halfway around to Australia, halfway around the world to Australia. And then in the back of my mind, all I was thinking is, this is literally the furthest place I can get from Middlesbrough before <laughs> I start coming back on myself. Um, and yeah, we've been here since the 13th of January, 2011. Um, and it's been interesting. And, and I will say this, the day that we left the UK, I think we were the last flight to leave London Heathrow because they shut the runway because it was that cold. Mm -hmm. And we were wrapped up like we were going to the Antarctic. Mm. So I had, a ski, I had a spider ski jacket on. I had a jumper. I had two polo shirts. I was absolutely freezing. Um, Karen had this big sort of, like big thick woolly coat on the cheek, a winter coat. And um, it didn't dawn on us that we were going to Australia when it was summer. And... And at not, not one point in that week leading up to leaving to Australia did I think, I'll have a look on the news and see what the weather's like. <laughs> um, so, yes, yeah, so we land after 24 hours. So we stopped off in Hong Kong. We flew down from Newcastle to London. Um, London to Hong Kong. Hong Kong into Sydney. And, at, and again, at that point in time, the, the, the only concern was how do I get my dog over? Mm -hmm. um, Excuse me. So it was just okay. So we need to get the dog over. This is what we have to do. And we land in Sydney, and they were in the middle of a a heat wave. You know, there were there was a banana famine. It was so warm in Queensland that the crops of bananas had been decimated. Um, I think it was something like thirty nine dollars for a kilo of bananas, so about thirty quid. Um, and I was thinking, 
Oh, honey, I'm just going to pay £30 for a load of bananas. Like, <laughs> and much to my amazement, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd walk around the shops and supermarkets and they'd just be loading it up. And I'm just thinking, these guys must be mega rich or mega nuts, one or two. Um, yeah, so we landed it. We landed at Sydney. We looked like we were going to, you know, Scott the Antarctic and that sort of thing. And I remember turning to Karen and just looking at her, and obviously everyone's walking around in shorts and t-shirts. And, and I just said, "Any more bright ideas?" <laughs> and I think at that point, like, I mean, twenty-four hours with me is enough at the best of times. Um, but being in a confined space of an aircraft, you know, I think she was ready to throttle me. So I just sort of like took that big sidestep, sort of. <laughs> um, yeah, and then, and then we got to, um, got to the the customs bit. So she's got a work visa, and I've got like um, uh, like a tourist entry visa and a transition visa. Mm-hmm. And because Karen was born in um, in Stockton, mm-hmm. um, so she goes through first, and the passport, and the guy just looks and he goes. There you go. Um, and he comes to me and he looks at he looks at my passport and he looks at me and he just goes, Do you know the last person from Middlesbrough that came to Australia? Went to Hawaii and got stabbed in the back. And I went, <laughs> Right. <laughs> and he just shook the passport, stabbed it, and went, have a nice day. <laughs> And I was saying, mm. <laughs> at that point, had you ever been to Australia? Sorry? Had you, had you ever been to Australia at that point before that? No. No, I think the only time I've ever looked at Australia was at the Commonwealth Games, uh, the uh, the Olympics in 2000. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. And it was, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it, was, it was typical of, you know, Karen is very sort of, my, my wife is very, very intelligent. Mm-hmm. Everything is she's she's very very clever and and everything has to be planned and she she needs to go but she can't do the planning um and and, and it, it, she's she'll probably kill me when she she hears me say this but she's almost like that typical academic you know extremely intelligent but it's that the nuts and bolts and the doing um and like you say she she is she is very very clever um Mm-hmm. And I, for the, I'll be honest, that is the reason why that I have pushed myself to do as much as I can with training and getting qualifications because I've always, you know, I've always felt that um, I, I never had the support at school. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't interested. Yeah. I didn't find, edu- like, I said, like I said, you know, it was, it was boring. I wanted to do fun stuff in science and and make bands and like most kids. But then when you sit down and start doing English and maths and it's just like, oh, why am I, why am I learning about Shakespeare? The guy's got worse grammar than me. Um, <laughs> and, and so, you know, Karen's always driven me to, to do as much training as possible and, and think of alternative ways to get qualifications. And, and it goes back to the MBQ stuff, you know, she, when I first started doing the MBQ level three in health and safety, um, you know, it, it, basically she was me sounding board and I was like, does this read right? Does this, 
does this come across grammatically correct? And she was like, yeah, but I don't understand the word that you're saying. I was like, well, that's great because that's the sort of reaction I get when I'm on site. So don't worry about it. <coughs> um, so yeah, so um, started work. So another funny story I'll tell you is we were, um, we just got literally off the plane, jumped in a taxi. We were getting put up in a lovely hotel in North Sydney. We had a view of the Harbour Bridge and, and looking into the harbour. And we, we get into the hotel and, and, and I said to Karen, I said, I could murder a beer. And she said, go and get a pint. So in seven o'clock in the morning, half seven. Not that, you know, everyone should go and have a beer at seven o'clock in the morning after a 24 hour flight. I just want to put that out there. It might not be the greatest thing to do. Um, so I walked to the bar and said, um, can I have a, a pint of lager please, mate? And this tall, skinny Aussie guy goes, don't do pints. I said, all right, what have you got? He said, we've got middies or schooners. So in my mind, I'm thinking midi, so like maybe half a pint. And a schooner was what they called a pint. And I said, oh, and I sort of looked behind and, and Karen's doing the check-in thing. And I, thought, I said, oh, I said, give us, give us two schooners. And he said, what of? I said, lager. He said, we don't sell lager, we sell beer. And I'm thinking, it's a bit early for a pint of Tatties or a Guinness. I said, what do you... He said, oh, I said, we call lager beer. And I thought, oh, here we go. I said, well, just give us a decent lager. And he picks up this, this little, and it was like a half glass. And I said, what's that? He said, it's a schooner. I said, I was expecting like a schooner boat, like a big thing. <laughs> and he went, no. I said, all right. I said, there's only two reasons why you'd have a, a glass that small. I said, the first one is, I said, the, the lag is absolutely disgusting and that's all you can tolerate. Or it gets, gets warm really quick and it'll be like drinking with a southerner. And he just went, no, it's just expensive. <laughs> you were just like, and um, it was the worst lager that I've ever tasted. Oh, no. There's this thing, this thing called VB and it's disgusting. Um, yeah, um, so we'd, we'd been in Australia for a couple of days. Obviously, we'd landed on a Wednesday. Karen was starting work on the um, on the Monday. Mm -hmm. um, I went and bought the I bought these SIM cards coming through the airport. Um, and literally, it was Friday morning, and my phone starts ringing, and I'm thinking, I haven't given me mobile to anyone, and um, so I answered the phone. And it's, uh, it's this, this English guy. And he's going, he said, Andy Lewis. And I said, yeah. He said, my name's Jim. I've got a recruitment agency in North Sydney. Do you want to come and have a chat? And I said, I wonder if do you know? He said, mate, he said, I get all the names of all the poms that come to Sydney. He said, he said, you, you, you keep me in business. And he said, so we, it was literally, it was about a 15, 20 minute walk to his office. And I said, oh yeah, look, I'll, I'll come over at nine o'clock. So walked over um, and he, he said, oh, he said, what do you do? I said, um, health and safety and risk management. And this guy just started laughing and not like, ha ha ha, very funny. He was almost rolling around on the floor in stitches. And he just turned around and said, Try and work out when you're going to die. And I said, what do you mean? He said, because 
your phone will ring for about 30 years after you're dead. So I'd give your SIM card to someone that you don't like. He said, health and safety and risk management in Australia, he said, is non-existent. And I said, no, nah, come on. He said, no, mate. He said, give it 10 years, he said, and you'll be thinking, what on earth have I done? Um, he said, look, there's, there's a couple of companies looking at the moment. He said, I can't help you. I don't really do health and safety. He said, well, here's a couple of jobs. Go and apply for them. So, um, yeah, sent three applications out, uh, got three interviews and, and, and said, oh, first one that offers me the job, I'm just going to take. I'd rather be working and looking than bored. Um, and started working for a, a, a telco um, business. And there's this, this thing in Australia called the, the National Broadband Network. Mm-hmm. And it, um, it's the biggest waste of money in the world. And I can remember, it's so badly designed. Um, you know, it's the idea of, um, you know, BIM, so building information modeling. You know, yep. back in, like, I can, I can remember that the, one of the, the, one of the prisons that I used to go to school in, um, I can remember them getting some work done. And there was a guy there who, who had this, this, this thing and he was sort of, it looked like an Etch-a-Sketch on steroids. And yeah. it was, and he was, he was obviously doing this building uh, modeling thing. And I was just like, hmm. And, um, and I was like, hang on, this is, this is, this is, this should be done on, on, on every asset, on every building, on, on everything. And, um, and yeah, there was, there was nothing, you know, you've, you, when you do um, construct, I mean, I remember working on one of the projects of when I was at Edinburgh and we were redoing one of the car parks and, you know, getting all the asset locations and, mm-hmm. and things like that. And, you know, working out where the HV cables go and where the water and everything is and, and walking around on when they were doing the works and just seeing what was going on. And these things were accurate. Mm-hmm. And then in Australia, you've got these things called Dial Before Your Digs. And, you know, they could be in the suburb across the road. The, you know, the, it, it's really interesting. And one of the businesses that I was first working with, they were, they were putting it in this, this broadband network. And it was a Friday afternoon and I had the golf clubs in the back of the car. And I thought, get away at three o'clock, get around to golfing, happy days. And I can remember driving to one of the golf courses that was quite local to where we lived and my mobile phone ringing. So I hit hands free. And um, it was my boss, a, a guy called Steve Romeo, who is, he's, you know, probably said one of three safety leaders in Australia. Um, and, and Steve said, oh, we've had an asset strike. Can you go to the site and have a look? And I said, yeah, no problem. So turns back around, goes to the office, goes out and gets onto the site. And there's a guy there with a directional driller and the fire brigade are there already. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, this is good. And the fire brigade are putting these blast screens up. And... Um, walk over and just introduce myself here. I'm Andy, health and safety, come to start the investigation. And this fiery turns around and he's got a cigarette in his mouth and he's lighting it. He said, they've just hit the high pressure gas main down there, but don't worry, there's too much oxygen in the air. 
No, 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 just like I said, um, I said, who's in charge? He said, me. Do you want a cigarette? <laughs> I'm a good mate. Um, <laughs> and it was just like, I've stepped back in time. It was just like, in, in the back of my mind, I had the Fraggle Rock music playing. And it was just, you know, and, and, and don't get me wrong, like, uh, Australia is an amazing place and it's, it's, it's beautiful and, and there's a lot of really nice people here and it's such a diverse place. But it's certainly a place where you come for the lifestyle. It's where your career comes to die. Um, and it's, it's been really interesting. But, yeah, look, that, that was my first. I mean, I, I'd done some in, incident investigation. Um, you know, it's the usual thing that happens in warehouses. You know, people get hold of the fire extinguishers and they decide it'll be a good idea to propel themselves down and then they go flying into the racking. And, you know, there's, there's the usual stuff. And, and it was at that point I just thought, have I made the right life choice? Um, so, yeah, so I was, I was with that business for a while and, the, you know, helped them go through ISO certification. There's a, th there's a thing over here called Federal Safety Accreditation, which is it's, um, one of the biggest wastes of paper that you can ever do because all the government organisations say, oh, you've got to be federally accredited to apply for this, this work. And you go, okay. But, you know, I can get 18,001, which is sort of like a proxy international standard. Ah, oh, but it's not Australian. Okay. And so you, you go through the process, you jump through all the hoops. Um, and it turns out that a lot of these auditors that do the FSC audits are, um, are just really grumpy safety people waiting to retire. Um, so it doesn't give you, it, it, it's, it's not the experience that it should be going through an audit that adds value. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's sort of one of the things what, what I jumped on and I, I thought, you know, I actually enjoyed the auditing. I actually enjoy the system side of, as well as doing everything. And, and maybe there's an opportunity for me to get involved in this. Um, so, yeah, so um, went and worked, started working with a, uh, another business that does broadcast infrastructure. Mm -hmm. um, and they had a, a national project. So they were putting in it was right at the time where they were turning the analog TV off and they were putting in all the digital um, cells and receivers and, and everything like that. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and started working with them. Mm -hmm. And that was awesome because I got to travel every week. I, I think I clocked up something like a million frequent flyers miles oh. in you know, I've still got frequent flies miles from when I worked at that business that I'm trying to get rid of. And, you know, I can't do anything at the moment. I can't go anywhere. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, I just went all over Australia. I was going to um, Tasmania and, and that's an interesting place in itself. And it's just like, oh, you know, Tasmania is beautiful. And it's just like, what do you do? And they're like, nothing. There's a whiskey bar, but it's only open on a Wednesday. <laughs> Okay, but I'm, I'm going to be here all week. Get a hire car and go for a drive. You can drive, you can drive up and down Tasmania in, in a day. Which is, uh, we'll go back to the hotel. I'll do some work. Um, go to Melbourne a lot, you know, going to South Australia, Western Australia. Um, 
Western Australia is like Little Britain. It's it's just full of Brits and South Africans who work in the mining industry. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, going up to Brisbane, um, Cairns, Darwin. I can remember the first time I went to Darwin, um, and it was like forty degrees, and it was it was November, and we were putting we were changing out these big Yagi antennas on in the middle of nowhere, and and I get there and. So just here to do an audit. And the first thing the guy done is he cracks open a beer and he goes, do you want one? Okay. Mate, mate, this is a dry site. And he just looked and he went, but I'm not on the site. <laughs> we need to have a conversation, but we'll do this later on sort of thing. Don't, don't break the plane like American football. Just don't, don't cross the end zone. Um, so yeah, it was it was bizarre, and and it was there was again I I, work, I was lucky to work with some absolutely amazing people, mm-hmm. you know within that business there was there was some really good people from a, a project management perspective, um, mm-hmm. you know guys from the guys and girls from the UK, a um, lot of expats, and yeah that project was was really interesting, you know good getting involved in the certification, going through that process, being the lead, the lead auditor and, and, and doing all that stuff was, was really interesting. Um, you know, and the budgets that I was dealing with, like $50 million for a safety budget over a three year project. And it was just like, and, and yeah, and that, that was exactly the reaction that I got was wow. And then you realize how expensive that Australia is. Mm-hmm. So take hundred pounds for a pair of uh, Steelys. It's just like, and 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 I got I got like the 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 Argos equivalent, the Asda equivalent. I got a Kmart, and I just get these these twenty dollar steely boots because they're comfortable. Why would I go and spend that amount of money? But it's it's that culture of you know it's almost like that keeping up with the Kardashians. You've got to have the best thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so and and I can remember you know there was there was two people who. Um, who I won't name in case they watch this. Um, but one was the, the CFO, and I, I just, I remember saying, I said, this is more money than I'll ever see in my lifetime. How, how do I deal with the budget? And he just laughed. He said, just look all the zeros off and pretend you're going shopping at Coles. That, that, that was his bit of advice. I said, but you're not the CFO. And he said, that's what I do. <laughs> um, yeah, and it was, <laughs> and it was just like, you've got to be kidding me. And he's like, no, nah, happy days. Um, so yeah, from there, um, I went and I got poached. I got approached by another business to who worked in Telco um, to go and set up their, their safety systems. They were doing, uh, they were putting their own fiber in the ground to compete with the MBN. And I was there for 12 months, and, and that was really good. And I thought, I'm a bit bored. So I started doing consulting. Mm-hmm. So I just registered with an ABN and got me insurances. And I thought, you know, I could look for a proper job, but do a bit of consulting on the side. And it just sort of snowballed. It just, I'd get little contractors ringing up going, I need a management plan for this. I need 
method statement for this? Can you help me with a risk perception for this? I'm going through ISO certification. Do you mind helping us? And so doing that and, you know, working as, uh, work with a business as a consultant um, to get them 18,001. And they, in Australia, um, they, have, they have this um, Australian New Zealand standard called 4801. Mm -hmm. And how it got, how, how anyone decided that this was uh, a standard amazed me because it basically says, do you have a health and safety policy? Yes. Here's your certificate. It's, it's a shocker. Um, but, but they love it. And, and, and this was one of the things, I think Australia was one of the reasons why 45,001 got delayed because you had all these, these people in these leadership positions go, oh, you can't do that. It's un-Australian. You, you can't make us, make us map to an international standard. So it was, it was interesting going through that. And they were dealing with um, aviation and security and things like that. Um, and yeah, it was just, it just kept on going from there. Um, I started looking at digital risk and, and things like that. And I went and spent you know, 12 months with, with a business that you know, looked at putting a, a management system together and it's almost like the, the head of like risk and product and that type of thing. And I was doing consulting at the same time and they brought me in because I'd, I'd had some good knowledge around 45,000 know, I was the nerd that sort of, as soon as the draft standard came out, I was like, oh, let's have a look at this. And, you know, putting everything in place, again, looking at budgets and, and things like that. And uh, I'd made the decision I was, I was just going to walk away from that business. It wasn't for me. It just, just didn't fit right. You know, there was this idea of, of working with an organization where Friday drinks and the, the HR people would ring you up and go, oh, we're having Friday drinks. I'm like, I don't want to go out for a beer with you. Oh, we're not going out. We're going to have it in the office. And it's just like, I drive into work. Yeah, but you can have a couple. And, and it was that mentality around, you know, it was just, it just didn't sort of gel right with me. I mean, like I said, I mean, I'm not a massively sociable person. Unless I'm within my my sort of like my little group, mm -hmm. and, and you know, and, and within my little group, there's there's Kiwis, there's South Africans, there's there's Germans, and there's a couple of French guys and, and Aussies, and you know, we're, we're all pretty, you know, slightly broken. I think is the best word, but we're all we're all slightly broken because of our careers. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the, the guys who work in procurement are far worse than anyone who works in health and safety. Um, <laughs> Yeah, um, so, <laughs> uh, you know, there's, it was just really interesting. So going through and doing a bit of consulting and then um, I've, got a, I've got a couple of friends who were recruiters and, and I, I don't know how I even got associated with them because um, the, the, they, were, they were as dull as dishwater. Um, but he rang us up and he said, um, I need a favour. And I said, all right, what? Thinking he was going to say his business needed certifying or, or something. He said, um, there's, a, there's an opportunity going with this organisation. I said, right. 
And he said, I've, I've sort of promised them you'll go. I said, what? And he said, yeah. And I said, all right. I said, well, the money better be amazing. He said, yeah, it is. He said, it's pretty good. And you know when a recruiter says the money's good, you know, they're thinking I'm getting 10 or 15% of this. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I, I, I went and became the, the director of safety, risk, and corporate compliance for a, a massive FMCG. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I can remember, you know, walking onto, onto the, one of the biggest warehouses that they've got in Sydney and just looking and I just went, why has no one got any steel toe cap boots on or safety footwear? And the operations manager turned around and went, ha, we've never had an incident. I said, all right. He said, well, we do safety differently. And I just looked at him and obviously you do safety very differently. You've got no safety systems. Um, and he was going, well, well, no, you know, we just, we have a conversation. I said, 